United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Good day. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. My name is Nelson Strubert, and today, today my guest is Dr. Russell Dalton, who is a professor of religious education at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, Nelson. It's it's good to talk with you. Good, good, good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off um, uh, right away by asking you uh, the following: that is. In the past, you have written about children and the Bible and children's literature and um, comic heroes, etc. And now you are involved in research in social justice. And um, I'd like to know what was what motivated you to switch gears, might I ask? Well, uh Actually, I wouldn't say that much that I switched gears. Uh, you know, as a as a young person, as a seminary student, I was uh, you know social ethics student of the year and and uh, the the teaching fellow of for our our social ethics professor. And in my my ministry, uh, it was a big concern. And I've taught uh, as a as a professor right along. I taught. Uh, a course uh, that I called Ministries of Advocacy and Action, and another uh, called uh, Preparing to Do Justice. It's just that I haven't gotten around to, to writing at least books. You know, I've written some articles and done presentations. Uh, but my, my motivation, what struck me uh, most recently, uh, are uh, a number of things. One is, it, it just really struck me that we could do better when it comes to religious education and preaching on social justice issues. Just over the years, what I've, I've come to see is that, you know, these Bible studies or, or sermons, uh, they, they go something like this, like take the issue of food insecurity, for example. Uh, it might be uh, start off with, it's a real problem. Here's some statistics, uh, right. how terrible food insecurity is, you know, in our neighborhood. Uh, and secondly, you know, you might move into, here's a Bible passage or a theological resource that says, you know, God cares, and therefore people of faith should care about this issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, perhaps throw in a, a heart-wrenching story, and I, I don't mean to diminish that. That's important, the affect of dimension. Uh, but then sort of it concludes with, in so many words, maybe not saying this explicitly, but so you should feel bad about food insecurity. You should feel bad that there's hunger in the world. And maybe sort of a general implication, and you should do something about it. Amen, go in peace. Ah. In, in other words, we leave people, we want you to think about this. We want you to care about it. But for the person in the classroom, the person in the pew, uh, there's no direction of, of where to take that. Where do we take that? So they just leave feeling kind of guilty, kind of bad or confused. Or there's, a, there's another uh, shift on this. There's a, another mode 
uh, I think of a big conference I, I went to lately with a wonderful preacher. And she was great in, in, in preaching about food insecurity. And the conclusion was um, something along the lines of, and so in the United States, when, you know, the wealthiest nation in the world, there is no reason any child should go home, uh, to sleep hungry. And we were all like, amen, amen, you know, and then they're you right. know, arousing him and we left. And, and there's the danger there that we felt like we did something about food insecurity because you've motivated we them or we were you've made them excited. Right. And, and, and we, we said that we were against it. So, so, you know, one, one thing that came uh, to my mind is why don't we at least give people, invite people to that next step, you know, not, not to, you know, at the very least at the end of the sermon or the end of the, the study to say something like, so I invite you, if you do care about this issue, there's several opportunities. There's a community soup uh, kitchen that you could serve at or, or, or food bank, or we're talking about uh, creating a community garden, or a group of us are gonna get together uh, to prepare statements so that we can visit legislators and talk about increasing funding for SNAP, you know, for for money for food, right? Um, for people, or uh, you know, uh, yeah, at the very least, uh, preparing and, and and going to go over how to uh, how to make a phone call, you know, just even to uh, you know, it might be something very minor, but at least there's something there. And then the next step that we hardly ever do is even when we do say, "Oh, let's go do something," we don't prepare people to do it. You know, we okay. We tend to set them up for failure and discouragement. Let's give the example of speaking at a at a a city council meeting, and just in my experiences, I've seen this again and again. Or speaking to a a school board meeting, you know, about discrimination and, and different things that that people get up there and they're very passionate, but they have a limited amount of time. Right, and it's clear they, they no one's gone over with them how distracting it can be how members of the city council might just during open forum time or or the state board of education or whatever it might be might just get up and move around and uh, leave while you're talking um, other people might be talking and and that you don't realize i only have time to make one point you know these things that can help people and prepare them to take part even if it's just marching at a rally or how you know, here's what to be prepared for if you are volunteering. Right. So you're saying that, that right, you're saying that um, we need to be very concrete uh, yes. in 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 what we say to people who are listening to what we're saying for the first time. Right. Many of us and many uh, congregational leaders, uh, especially I think of clergy people who've gone to seminary. Uh, Sometimes we can make those connections fairly easy, right. but also we like to think in the abstract, right? Yes, we like yes. to think about the theological, the ethical, uh, but, uh, you know, there's also an educational component of this that I might get into a bit later. That's uh, uh, There's the educational as well, that we okay. learn in praxis, we okay. learn in doing. Right. Okay. Well, well, then I'm going to uh, uh, ask um, ask the next question, and that is, 
what model, uh, when you were thinking about this process of education and the congregation and congregants, uh, what models were there for you, or what model did you look at to begin this process? Well, it's it, it's interesting. There, there's a number of, of models or examples that we could use. Uh, you know, what I hit on was the the education and training of the Freedom Riders, both the uh, initial uh, Freedom Riders who met with James Farmer and Core at Fellowship House in Washington, D.C. for three days of intensive training, uh, but also the ongoing uh, nonviolence workshops, the Nashville workshops led by Jim Lawson. Uh, of course, Lawson was developing and, and was following the models of, of Gandhi. He'd studied in India, okay. right? And, and nonviolent direct action, you know, before he ever did his uh, famous Nashville workshops, nonviolence workshops, uh, he'd, he'd studied uh, as a Methodist missionary uh, in, in India. Um, and, you know, so, so sort of, there's a legacy going back and of course, study Jesus, right. And, right. and Jesus is nonviolent resistance. Uh, also this was done, I, I should say within my own personal praxis of being involved in, uh, Black Lives Matter marches and, uh, sun, the sunrise movement, uh, for climate justice and, uh, and work for, uh, uh, marriage equality for LGBTQIA plus uh, people mm -hmm. and, and seeing what they did. But what really fascinated me was the Freedom Riders, because as somebody who, who hadn't who, who'd read about the civil rights movement, obviously, and, right. and studied it and gone into it, there were these short mentions of these workshops and, for example, for the initial Freedom Riders uh, of... Uh, a three day, three days of intensive training, but it took a little bit of digging to find out what was that. And oh, what okay. I was about to say, how did you go about finding out uh, how they yeah, did this? You, you know, some of it is uh, uh, bits and pieces are talked about uh, in in books like uh, Raymond Arsenault's uh, Freedom Riders. Um, the uh, especially with the Nashville uh, nonviolence workshops, uh, Wesley Hogan's Many Minds, One Heart, uh, Snick's uh, Dream for a New America. Okay. Uh, and then, but especially what was helpful was John Lewis's uh, uh, Walking with the Wind. You know, he was a part of both of these groups, right? Okay. Lewis was. Uh, fascinating. He was part of both rides, the, the original Freedom Ride and the second, which sometimes they call them the Nashville Riders. Uh, and, and then interviews on the internet, right? Uh, interviews and, and recorded interviews with James Lawson and with uh, John Lewis and, and others. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was able to, to figure out what, what they did and how many of them, you know, what further motivated me is in reading how many of them said that that education, that training, it was key to their success, even though nothing could have prepared them for everything that they faced, right? Let's exactly, right. Nothing could have. But they said it would have been a disaster for us without some of that education and training. And 
it struck me how many of them, both the the original Freedom Riders and the Nashville Riders, went on and and again hearkening back when they talked about it to that uh, initial education that they went on to lifetime a lifetime of understanding their vocation of advocating for social justice and whether that was for nuclear uh, disarmament or uh, lgbtqia rights but you know many of them the young people went on to be leaders uh in the civil rights movement for racial equality um, um, just through the years because of that education. Okay. Um, as you, uh, as you continue your research and I know, uh, I, I is this a, uh, I might give a plug for your, your next book that's, uh, that will be coming out in this area. Um, do you use, uh, are you looking at workshop models, uh, for education or other models? Yeah, that you know, I'm, uh, that's an excellent question because I'm I'm looking at a number of things, right? There, uh, I think James Lawson's uh, Nashville Nonviolence Workshops are an excellent model, and I I just have to say, you know, we're we're so blessed. We still have Jim Lawson, and now the Jim Lawson Institute, uh, you know. He is not just a hero of the civil rights movement. He's a hero for America and for the world. And as, as much accolades as he gets, I don't think it's nearly enough that, you know, he isn't a household name. But it, it's a number of things that they did. And uh, I don't, I don't want to go uh, too long on this, but just these things that, you know, let's face it, most of what we do will not call for the commitment, the risk of life and limb, right. uh, or the, um, or, you know, the amount of training, you know, these, you know, years of uh, weekly trainings in Nashville or three full days of intensive training, but just some of the things that they did, whether it's pieces of it or all of it, when we prepare people in our congregations, again, whether it's for racial equality, racial justice, whether it's for uh, food insecurity, whether, you know, whatever we might be preparing people to do. One thing they did when they gathered and, and uh, you know, core in the three days intensive uh uh, meetings there in Washington, D.C., they really based a lot of what they did on Lawson's work. Okay. But one is they explored the issue from many different angles, right? And okay. so we had, uh, you know, they brought in uh, Carl Ratchlin, a, a civil rights uh, lawyer. They brought in a sociologist to understand Jim Crow culture, uh, right? So they... Uh, Here's the law, you know, Boynton v. Virginia. Uh, so the people preparing before they could get on the bus, right, they needed to understand these issues. And then they looked at the philosophical and attitudinal concerns as well. So, you know, they, they read Gandhi. They read Thoreau. They, you know, Lawson had them, you know, reading Jesus, you know, right. uh, different uh, theology. And for them, that that philosophical, theological approach was clear. For that movement at that time, uh, the ideology was clear and predetermined. The movement was one of nonviolence full stop. If participants couldn't adhere to a strict policy of nonviolence, 
they weren't allowed to get on the bus. Now, of course, not everyone in the civil rights movement at the time took that position. Not everyone today who works for racial equality takes that position. But whatever we do in our community of faith, that, that was so helpful for them to say, for us, we're taking this approach. In other words, it wasn't just it, it wasn't just a group of people dedicated to civil rights who got on the bus, but these were people who internalized or did critical reflection on what it was they, that they were about to do. Right, and and that was just so essential. And 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 today, even in small ways, I'll I'll just give give one example for today. Um, at Bright Divinity School, our students gather together and take part in Fort Worth Pride every every year with you know the mar uh, and do a march sort of mm -hmm. a, a parade supporting LGBTQIA plus equality. And the night before, people gather together to uh, make posters and you know we get pizza. And it's usually a student leading it up. But we had a new student who was going to write, I'm just going to write, you know, because I hear there's going to be counter protesters and just say, you know, uh, a sign that says, uh, I'll edit it. I'll send you. <laughs> but F you, oh. homophobes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's up. And, and the student leader could go over and kind of, you know, and, and it prompted her to, to say announcement to the whole thing. We want positive messages for our group. Now, on your own, you can go and do what you want. Right. But for this movement, it, it's positive, affirming messages. We're not going to confront counter-protesters. Uh, also, here's some guidelines on, on signs that can be read by people uh, lining the street. Uh, here's how you make them uh, be able to be read. Here's how you make sure that, that your poster board is firm enough so if it's windy it isn't just a mess you know what size etc so just kind of that preparation both uh, practically but also ideologically right uh you know when when you're going to serve people who you know are neighbors without homes you know sometimes it takes you would assume oh everyone's going to be caring and nice otherwise they wouldn't be volunteering my students especially report back to me how many people they're just so disheartened when they have services whether it's you know distributing food or volunteering at a soup uh, or at a homeless shelter, how often people are just so disdainful of the people that they're helping. <laughs> you right. know, uh, very interesting. And so, just that ideological approach, and just asking what what's justice going to look like, and then working with a group, developing a concrete plan. Now, core he had it planned, and most of the people knew ahead of time before those three days. Okay. Uh, but Lawson, working with the, the college students in Nashville, they worked together on what the plan would be. And then they would have this idea and just very slowly, okay, go out and sit at, uh, you know, a food counter uh, that's for whites only. And then when you're asked to leave, politely say, okay, and get up and leave. Ah. And then come back and reflect on that. Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. does this say about it? You know, and then it's that praxis approach that they would continue to develop uh, what is going to be effective as a concrete plan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if it helps at this point. I just have a few other things, these types of principles that would be so helpful for churches. Okay. Uh, just to be very quickly. One is, you know, the basic preparations, like the, they, what to wear, 
you know, that, mm-hmm. hey, wear clip-on ties because otherwise, you know, we want to look respectable, but they might choke you, <laughs> right. you know, so just wear the clip-on ties or women wear skirts, but wear modest undergarments because you're likely to get dragged away, oh. things like that. And then the, the, the biggest one was the role-playing that they did, right? Right. Where, where uh, they practiced people yelling racial slurs at them, blowing smoke in their face when they were at lunch counters or uh, wherever they might be, uh, and even getting hit. Um, and not everyone made it through that training without reacting even to their friends who were, who were playing, you know, the, the members of the racist mob. Uh, but they said that really helped them. Right. Um, yeah. I'm gonna add, yeah, I know you've been doing a lot of uh, presentations uh, uh, in this area uh, and, and social, social justice. How have your listeners uh, received what you've, what you've been saying? Well, with intensity <laughs> in a number of different locations. Uh, but because, again, we are talking about concrete, the nitty gritty. Right. You know, I, I, I often say that you could, you know, people could preach a sermon uh, that says something that would be considered heretical throughout church history. Like, well, well Jesus just seemed to be human, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people wouldn't blink. But if you get into talking about action, um, people sit up, and especially if they're people who might be motivated, and and they raise questions, and they, you know, at times disagree with me, which I think is great. You know, I say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying you might do this differently. Uh, the point is, though, to prepare people uh, for what they're doing, not just because it makes your social action more effective, but also, research has shown that if people go out and they have an experience and they felt like, oh, I was just no good. I didn't know what was I was doing. I, I wasn't prepared for that. Right. Chances are big that they will never participate in an act of social action again. Ah, okay. Okay. That's helpful. Um, I, I, I have to ask uh, this, and uh, that mm-hmm. is how might we incorporate justice work throughout uh, our religious education uh, development, our religious education curriculum in in our churches? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, a great question, great question. I I think there's a number of different ways. Uh, One is for us to think outside of the box of like the Sunday school or Wednesday night Bible study, but to think in terms of teen meetings. Do you gather people together, a team that's interested in eco-justice, and uh, whether they meet one Saturday a month or every week uh, to explore issues like that? But I think it even goes back to being more basic. Uh, You mentioned that I've written on children's Bibles, and one of the things that I've written about in terms of children's Bibles and other children's Sunday school materials is even in mainline Protestant you know, progressive Catholic curriculum, boy, the curriculum supports values that uh, reinforce the status quo Ah. uh, rather than uh, uh, speaking for justice. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, uh, the values that come out, we use Bible stories to teach values such as obey those in authority you know, work hard and don't complain. Right, right. Don't raise a fuss. Don't be a problem person. Be nice. Uh, 
Uh, rarely do children's curriculum talk and, and introduce children to the, to the fact that our faith calls us to speak truth to power, to resist right. injustice, right. to be angry when we see people being exploited. Um, and, and people say, oh, children don't understand these social justice issues. But, um, you know, I mean, for one thing, we talk about issues like prayer. Who, which adult among us understands <laughs> exactly how prayer That's works? That's right, exactly, or, or, right. Uh, but but especially, you know, Elliot Eisner talked about explicit, implicit, null curriculum. If the issue of justice is null curriculum for our children and we never raise it, then when those children grow up and, and they hear sermons about justice issues or, or Bible studies or Sunday school lessons, they might kind of nod along, but say, yeah, but I know what my Christianity calls me to do really. It's to be nice. It's to not make waves. Uh. It's to obey those in authority because that has become their embedded theology. Right, right, right. And so I think it's very important for people uh, who are concerned about this, even in progressive denominational curriculum and, and materials, to look through with a critical eye. Uh, are these materials uh, reinforcing the status quo? Right. Uh, or right. are they calling us to justice? Exactly. And yeah, I, I just, I, I think people will be surprised. Uh, and I, I've talked to many people who are surprised. Uh, at looking over the materials and the materials in their church libraries, etc. Great. Well, it, this is well. This is a good note in which to end. I can't believe our conversation is uh, has come to an end. But I thank you for your insights and uh, and uh, your. You're helping us to uh, think about what it is that we're doing as faith communities in promoting uh, social justice. And I hope you can. I, I, I look forward to your book coming out. Well, thanks. I look forward to that too. You know, it's a it's a wonderful thing to have written the book. Right, <laughs> it's painful to write it. So, uh, uh, thank you for that. And boy, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Nelson. Thank you. Okay, my guest today has been Dr. Russell Dalton, who is professor of religious education at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, and he has been talking and he was talking about social justice uh, and 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 the church. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.